When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Just stay positive. And, uh, that's, you know, starts with me. Just got to stay positive, keep knocking on the door. You know, and I feel like if we play like we did tonight, then we got to continue that consistent effort. You know, we'll get us over the hump as we make this push. So, you know, this is a tough loss, obviously. I, you know, I'm replaying plays throughout my mind right now. Um, it's tough, but just stay positive and just, um, you know, keep watching the film. Obviously, we're not going to have much on the court practice time because we're playing every other day this week. But, you know, the film session is going to be very key. And how well you can take care, you got to take care of your body starting tonight because the games are coming. Um, so, um, you know, that's what it's about. Everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where this is bad, real bad. Mark Jackson. I thought I was gonna say Michael, right? But I didn't. I said Mark Jackson, and that's second best odds to become the next Lakers head coach, only behind Jason Kidd. Mark Jackson to you, Tommy. So <laughs> just when you thought things couldn't get worse, the sky is falling. Everything sucks, and f me life, <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> for me life on top of the morning to you, Jonathan. I think I was going for a, a Viking accent there um, in honor of How to Train Dragon the Hidden World. But Tommy, how are you feeling? And speaking of How to Train Your Dragon the Hidden World, did you take my advice and watch that instead of the Lakers-Pelicans debacle Saturday night? I did not watch that. Wait, is there a new How to Train Your Dragon on uh, on Netflix? Is that not Hidden World? Is that like a show or something? Nah, what is that on that? That's just one of our, our TV spinoff shows. Um, but the third uh. one, The Hidden World, is out in movie theaters. We were number one in the North American box office this past weekend, by the way. And if you had taken my advice and just watched that instead of the Pelicans game, you would have been in a much better, less suicidal place. I would have been a lot happier, probably. <laughs> you would have yeah. been a lot happier. In fact, I'm just going to watch that movie over and over every single time <laughs> the Lakers play from now on. Well, you'll be crying, just like you're crying for the Lakers right now, but on much happier and, like I said, less suicidal terms. Uh, but seriously, if you're looking for a spectacular diversion, that is it. Watch How to Train Your Dragon in the Hidden World. But we are a Lakers podcast, and depressingly, we are going to have to go through this and talk it out, vent it out. I'll just get through the house cleaning stuff right now. 
As usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. The more you rate and review us, the less attempts it'll take Josh Hart to finally hit his first three since 1984, it seems like. Tommy, do you remember the last time Josh Hart, the last game Josh Hart hit a three in? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Shaq was double teamed in the post and threw him out. It was about 20 years ago, it feels like. He was in the fetal position, I think. Actually, it was six games ago, which seems too recent, in my opinion. I mean, it was, like with the All-Star break, it was like a month, though. <laughs> or like two, two and a half, three weeks. Yeah, almost a month with the All-Star break included. So yeah, it was against the Philadelphia 76ers on January 29th. Probably banked it in. I think he did. <laughs> I think he. I remember him banking a three. Actually, just make a swish for God's sake. <laughs> no hate on Josh Hart. He's been dealing with m- multiple injuries. But anyways, he is three yeah, for fine. his last twenty from three, shooting twenty-two percent from three in January and zero percent in February. The same zero percent you're shooting, Tommy. So Lord have mercy. So yes, please help a brother and some brothers out and rate and review us so that uh, we can quickly get to Josh Hart's next three-point shot also patreon.com slash the lakers legacy podcast a dollar two dollars anything helps all right let's get right down to it the lakers have come out of all-star break one and two and in pure lakers fashion this season pure hashtag la brown fashion they won that that crazy game against the houston rockets came back from down 19 but as has been the case the entire season with this team the lakers are always one step forward, two steps, they're super whack. And that's exactly what we got. Uh, losing to the New Orleans Pelicans without Anthony Davis. And then last night to the Memphis Grizzlies without Marcus All and Bruno Caboclo and Joakim Noah playing crucial minutes for the Tankathon Grizzlies. So there you have it. That's where we are. That's where we stand. I don't know how organized I'm going to be with tonight's episode. Like our episode two weeks ago, I feel like we should just uh, clear the air go whichever way the wind takes us, and uh, yeah, vent it out. So I have it segmented out enough where we can get to like just our sentiments and then how the Lakers are looking on court-wise, what we think about LeBron, and try and turn things around for the end of this episode and veer things in a more positive light by talking about the strides we've seen from Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and uh, even the Lakers' new addition in Reggie Bullock. But before that, we're going to bemoan, bitch, cry, etc., etc. So if you have a problem with us complaining, and we have had those complaints in the past, uh, just talking about how we're a little whiny, this is not the episode you want to listen to, I don't think. Right, Tommy? I don't know. I could be wrong. But, so I wanted to just ask you first off, how are you feeling about this team right now? I've received a lot of Twitter mentions from Lakers Nation, and a lot of them have come in the form of, what has this team become? It feels like the team we've come to know and love has been taken hostage by madmen. For me personally, I'm kind of in this loopy state where once you've been faced with this much disappointment and frustration day in and day out, I feel like you kind of reach a threshold of uh, just pure pessimism that you end up actually reaching a level of being okay on the other side of things, where you, you come out on the other side having this shit affect you less. I guess it's partly degaffness and partly... This is so bad, it's just funny, and I can't really stay mad, or else it just becomes unnecessary self-inflicted pain. So, just sentiment-wise, how are you feeling about the current state of the Lakers? The seven stages of grief are shock, (laughs) denial, anger, bargaining, depression, testing, and acceptance. And I think over the course of this season, we've definitely gone through all of those. Um, It it really hasn't been great. Uh, The team is a huge disappointment. 
you can point the finger in a number of directions. I think we'll touch on the main ones um, Mm -hmm. probably on this episode. But overall, it's just there's a lot of parties at fault here. And I think, unfortunately, the ones who are going to get most of her, who have gotten most of the blame to date and who will continue to get a lot of the blame are the ones who are probably going to get, you know, shipped out for pennies on the dollar come this off season. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's generally, this has just been a, a complete nightmare of a season. I want to say, oh, well, there's still time to turn it around because realistically there is, you know, the teams in front of us have been bad enough that there is a realistic chance for us to still make the playoffs. If we were a team that was playing normal basketball, normal, the reason yes. it's not, because the thing is, like, we're not a 50-win team that just happens to be, like, 29 and 31. We're a 29 and 31 team, you know, at best, playing like a team that's 29 and 31. And, yeah, but I'm sure we'll get we'll get more into it. So you can go ahead here. Uh, I didn't talk to you after the Houston game last week, but I'm curious to know, after we came back from 19 and everybody was feeling good about themselves... How did you feel after that game? Were you like, oh, here we go. Buckle up, everybody. Or were you like, I have seen this too many times. I've seen it too many times. I mean, we said the same thing after the Boston game. Um, We said the same thing multiple times before that. But specifically after the Boston game, we did an episode and I said, they've done this to us too many times. Yeah. Um, And then they had a chance to go into the break with with a win against a team that they should beat no matter the circumstances and they lost that game to the Hawks and they came, we came back out, we beat Houston. And I said, same thing. Like I even said in our, in our Facebook thread, I said, look, we've done this so many times at this point. Like it's not, it doesn't matter. Beating Houston is irrelevant if we, and I wasn't even like, I wasn't even thinking we lose two of these games. Right. I'm just thinking like in my head, okay, worst worst case scenario, we go like, three and one and or sorry two and one over these next three games were when we should really go three and oh and now it's like we we're hoping we go one and two so it, it's just after the houston game it's obviously you're gonna feel good about it you know the guys showed up they came through down the stretch on the flip side houston is known to throw a lot of late games we were playing at home and we were benefiting some from some you know, I'm not going to say the refs won us the game, but I, we were benefiting from more calls just by virtue of being at home. Um, James Harden has not fouled out of a game this season except for that game. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, you know, but I'm just saying that, like, that those were things that helped for sure. Um, and I, I just didn't take too much out of it because I was waiting to see how the m- momentum would continue. And just like every other time this season where something like this has happened, the momentum just didn't continue at all. Yep. The uh, Lakers are going the exact opposite direction. They're free-falling. They're bottoming out, whatever you want to call it. The opposite of firing on all cylinders, literally. So this is so sad. I'm looking at the Lakers' last three wins, and I feel like they just got lucky. Like you mentioned, they didn't. the refs didn't hand them the win in, in the Houston game, but it took anomaly sort of performances or outlier sort of performances for the Lakers to eke out wins. They came down from 19, Tommy, in the third quarter to kind of beat the Rockets, okay? Yeah. And then the game before absurd. that was the Boston Celtics game where they were down by like 15 in the first half and really had to 
battle it out to the very end in order to set up a Rajan Rondo chaotic play game winner. The game before that was the, the Clippers game where LeBron came back. And I guess we sort of had a double-digit lead at some point, but then we were pretty stupid. Even that, yeah, that even game. that, exactly. And we that was that took overtime to barely squeak that one out. Yeah. So it's like we haven't had just like a normal win in so long. And, and it really shows. I mean, but frankly, it's like, as I'm sure we're about to talk a lot about, the, the team is not good, you know? So it's like we're not winning games because we're not good. And we're not good in a variety of ways. It's part of it is talent. Part of it is coaching. Again, we'll get we'll get to all of it, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'll shift things to on-court observations, then we'll go back to the off-court extracurricular drama that's going on and how how all these different narratives are starting to pop up and they're all pretty negative. But quickly, just to shift things a little bit, the Lakers since January 21st, where do you think they rank in defensive net rating since January 21st? I tried to pick a date where it was just before the Anthony Davis rumors started, so... Lonzo was already hurt at this point, right? I believe so. Um, 27th? Wow, you hit the nail on the head. Yes, 27th (laughs) defensive net rating since January 21st. Offensively, this actually seems a little better than what I had anticipated. They are 24th in offensive net rating uh, since then. Wow. But... Well, yeah. I mean, there's some really (laughs) bad teams in the NBA, to be clear. (laughs) But... Look, the the team, like we just mentioned, is not good. The wins that they have had, they eked it out. They got lucky. They really had to squeeze out every ounce of intensity and effort and what have you to get those wins. And on the norm, they are just a terrible team with a terrible supporting cast, a disjointed roster that doesn't really fit right now. We can say the trade deadline factored into things and all that stuff, but... um. I guess on court wise, what are you seeing that is it repairable? I feel like the veterans. No. <laughs> okay, it's an easy answer. The veterans right now, and I'm talking about Rajon Rondo, KCP, JaVale McGee, Tyson Chandler, Lance Stevenson. These guys are all collectively conspiring to suck their hardest all at the same time. And it's incredible. It's almost downright hilarious how bad they've all decided to be. And coming out of the All-Star break, you know, Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma, they were up to the task. They were ready. Even Josh Hart was ready for that one Houston Rockets game. But I have not seen Rondo, Lance, JaVale, and Tyson look this bad, as bad as they have been in the last few weeks. And the Lakers traded Zubat so that JaVale could feel a little more, have a little more breathing room, right? But it's very clear now that JaVale, the JaVale we saw in the first two months where we pretty much built our entire defense around him, that guy doesn't exist anymore. That was a fluke. We're back to Golden State Warriors 10-minute-a-game JaVale McGee, Shaqton in a fool JaVale McGee, where he is always on skates on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, you're not sure whether he's going to be able to catch the ball or how he's going to finish because he's too slow to dunk the ball now. Tyson Chandler cannot catch the ball to save his life. Tyson Chandler just can't play. He can't play basketball anymore, dude. He's too old. He doesn't have the same reflexes. Like if you, I don't know. And and despite that, I don't understand why guys continue to throw him the ball. Like every time we run a pick and roll with Tyson Chandler, the guy handling the ball passes it to Tyson Chandler and 
part of that is like you blame the guys that's like know your personnel for God's sake. But part of me again, and I'm sure we'll just get into we'll get into all of this. But part of me blames the coaching. Like how many times are your guys going to do this? Where you say, hey, if you pass the ball to JaVale McGee on the pick and roll and he doesn't have a lane, what do you think he's going to do? You know, so yeah. you got to like think about these things. We're just not making the right reads. And I think these two guys are really like really exemplifying how that happens. And it only exemplifies even more how terrible and short sighted the Zubats for Muscala trade was and continues to I, be. I can't even talk about that trade anymore, dude. It was like <laughs> such a horrible trade in hindsight, especially. It's like for months, right? It's because this all started because it's like, oh, JaVale is out. We're missing like our starting center. He's so valuable. You know what I mean? Like this this all started because he had his like migraines or what did he have again? He or he had like the he had pneumonia. a viral infection or yeah, pneumonia. That's right. So he had pneumonia and missed a bunch of games. He's just like, you know, at first it felt like, oh, Zubats is just filling in for that time. But then slowly Zubats just became like by far our best center overall on both ends. Yeah. And, you know, it, when it comes time for the trade deadline, oh, I, could, I thought maybe we could use some stretch five shooting. Let's trade freaking Zubats for no reason for a guy who like was a throw in and a trade the week before. And this team had like <laughs> no loyalty towards and like, didn't care, like had no use for, and like does not need that type of player. And like, probably you could have gotten him for like a second round pick. Yep. Or, you know, play the waiver wire for God's sake. You know, what's funny about that is uh, Mike Scott went out the other way to Philadelphia. And I'm like, we should, if we're going to try to do that, at least get Mike Scott instead, because he's a way better player yeah. than Mike Muscala, who's the rich man's Ryan <laughs> Kelly at this point. Yeah. And it's like, look, Muscala, is he the worst player in the NBA? No, but he's much worse than Zubats. I think we could all agree on that, especially factoring in potential upside. Um which is like a, you know, it stings even more and it's like, oh, upside, big deal. No, upside matters for us because we're clearly not going anywhere this year. Yeah. And now it's a bummer knowing that like Zubats could have been a guy that, you know, we could have retained and that's not going to happen now. Or at least injected some sort of life and joy into a team that seems so devoid of it right now. You know, where Muscala is yeah, just he was another renegade and... dude who's like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> He's just like another like one year short term rental. Um, he knows he's not going to be here. We know he's not going to be here <sighs> next know. year. Like it's just like so bad, and he's not good enough to where it's like well, like Isaiah Thomas or something. Yeah. Although it was hurt last year, that fool's a baller, you know. So it's like he won us some games last year, but it's not even the same as that. It's just Mike Muscala. He, on his best night, he'll hit two threes for you, which is like, okay, great. But And, and like, of course, with our coaching staff, we'll, we'll just play him at the four for some reason. It's like we, all, we only sign this guy. His only value. He's not even a good shooter for a four. He's only a good shooter as a five. Because only like five guys in the league qualify for, for like to be one of the top three point shooters in the, at the five position, and he's one of them. Um, and but so he's considered good for a center, but he's not good for a forward. And yet we traded Zubats for him to play Muscala at the four. For God's sake! 
God, this is a really sad situation. <laughs> so I just want to say that obviously Muscala is not as bad as we're painting him out to be, and Zubats is not as good as we're painting him out to be. Zubats is not a world beater, and even if we still had him on our team right now, that wouldn't fix anything, right? Or that wouldn't fix the right, underlying right, right. problems of this team. My issue is, and what I continue to look at is, the swap for both, unfortunately, and I'm sure Muscala is a good dude, but unfortunately he is now just the face of and mascot of the front office's continued ineptitude. Because he's like a microcosm and snapshot of everything wrong with what they've done, right? Because like you said, he's another one of these renegade-type guys where Zubats was at least a guy that you've had who, who's been here for the last three years and that you cultivated a little bit, you know? Even if you're not going to retain right. him, there's some continuity just having him on the roster because guys love him and guys know him and the fans love him. Instead, you're going to take that away from us, too. If we're going to have a tanking season, can we at least do it with guys we know and love? Instead, we got to look at freaking Mike Jaws over here and wonder what... <laughs> Mikey Muscles. Mikey Muscles and wonder if he's going to be on Swerve Part 2 with Lance Stevenson and Lonzo Ball. And, uh, Swerve. And, and unfortunately, like yeah, he is the mascot for everything that's gone wrong this season and everything that the front office has... Uh, or just how much the front office has, has kind of lost their mind and uh, derailed things here. Anyways, back to the on-court stuff. I feel like the Lakers, and I talked I talk with you about this earlier, we'll get to Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma a little later. They've, they've played really well coming out of the All-Star break, and even at the very least, they've played with a lot of effort. But you look at these stats they're putting up, and because the Lakers collectively as a unit are so bad, and they're other role players are so terrible outside of Reggie Bullock that it almost renders Ingram and Kuzma's contributions absolutely useless and worthless. And Brandon Ingram even said as much last night. He's like, okay, I got 32 points, but doesn't mean anything if we're losing. And I know Ingram and Kuzma are playing to win, maybe, although I don't know. I feel like Kuzma's a little disjointed and disconnected from uh, LeBron right now and whatever the hell is going on. But in essence, I feel like Ingram and Kuzma and LeBron, they're putting up great stats. LeBron got a triple-double. Ingram's been averaging like 30 points over the last three games. Kuzma's still averaging 20, 20 points and actually dishing out assists and all that. But when you look at the totality of what's going on and actually watch the games, it just feels like these guys are playing like disjointed, fragmented 2K my players who are kind of in their own space and doing their own things. And obviously the losing and the incompetence of the rest of the roster definitely colors things to to look this way. I'm sure they're trying to win, but it just seems like the whole team is disconnected and these guys are just trying to unlock certain goals and stats. So for Ingram, it's like shoot more three-pointers, unlocked. For LeBron James, get a triple-double, unlocked. Kyle Kuzma, pass the ball a little bit more. Okay, he unlocked that goal. But you zoom out and look at the totality of what all those stats mean. And it doesn't amount to much because we don't have a cohesive unit out there. Nobody else is really contributing to anything that at times I think Brandon Ingram goes into his, okay, I got to take over mode. And we'll have stretches of Brandon Ingram kind of just doing his own thing. Kyle Kuzma's like, okay, I got to step it up now. And then he'll do his own thing. LeBron James will do his, I can't really take over anymore, but I'll continue to do a lot of the ancillary stat things and get rebounds and get assists and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's not contributing to purposeful basketball or purposeful winning because nobody else is stepping up and helping them. So 
in your sense, what what do you make of the the on-court play of the Lakers as, as a whole? And where do you attribute the problems right now? Obviously, we talked about McGee's bad defense. We can also talk about how poorly Rajon Rondo's playing, especially defensively. Um, earlier on in the season, he was mitigating that by at least being good on offense, but even that has totally disappeared. So yeah, on-court-wise, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's a complete train wreck. I, I'd say that the only two bright spots right now, and I th- I'll say two because Lonzo has been hurt, but the only two bright spots to me are Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. Um, those are the only two guys who, for large chunks of the season, LeBron is LeBron, okay? I'm not trying to talk smack about LeBron like he's had a, a f- phenomenal season, especially given the circumstance, especially changing conferences and the kind of roster he was handed. Um, he's been amazing. Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma for all the flack they've gotten. And frankly, especially in the case of BI for all the flack that we've given him over the course of the season, both of these guys are playing extremely, extremely well. BI's averages are creeping up towards 20 points a game. Um, he's shooting extremely efficiently. He's been hopping into his three point shot. If you follow Pete Zayas on Twitter, they've been talking, he's been talking about this as well, but He's been hopping into his three-point shot a little bit more the last few games, so he's even hitting threes now. We're consistently putting him on opposing teams' guards, and although he doesn't put up flashy numbers defensively, he causes a lot of havoc on that end just with his length and disrupting shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those three guys, the two our two main young guys um, with Lonzo out plus LeBron, are really the only bright spots. Reggie Bullock, I'll throw him a bone, but he's only been here for five games, so we'll see how that goes. Um, those are the, really the only bright spots here. The rest of the guys, JaVale McGee, KCP, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, have just been such a nightmare, many of them on both ends. JaVale, you know, he's great when he's getting his lobs or, you know, his tip-ins or whatever, you know, when he's fully engaged and doing the little things. There are so many times where it's just like he catches the ball in a really bad position on an offensive rebound, and it's effectively a turnover because he'll put up some horrible attempt, and he'll get like blocked or like pushed under the rim, or he'll fall down, and it leads to a fast break going the other way. Um, He also makes horrible decisions on the pick and roll when he's the roll man, and he constantly you know, is either taking these weird floaters that like a seven footer with no skills shouldn't really be taking, or like he takes weirdly mid range jump shots sometimes when the offense (laughs) stalls, he just extremely poor decision-making on offense and just extremely poor effort on defense. Uh, When he's engaged and he's causing havoc and getting rebounds, we're a completely different team, but most of the time he's not doing those things. Um, He's getting beat 25 feet away from the hoop by Joakim Noah off the dribble. Like, it's just like unacceptable defensive play. KCP has been up and down all season, but lately it feels like way, way, way more down. And I put him, lump him kind of in the same category with Rondo too, because... Rondo's offense has been, you know, up and down this year. And when it's been up, it's been great for us, but... He has not really played fantastic defense. He has not really played good defense this whole season. He's played passable defense at points. 
And lately, he's just not playing defense. I mean, when I say that, I'm not being like, oh, these clips of LeBron where he's clearly standing on the, you know, standing around not doing anything that have been going viral recently on ESPN that I'm sure are going to make him thrilled. Um, uh, It's not even like those types of clips. It's. It's like Will cro- the ball crosses half court and Rajon Rondo is just not guarding anybody. For like an entire 12 seconds, he's just kind of standing there watching and waiting for a rebound so he can start leaking out. It's like so laughably bad. I mean, I think Pete posted a clip or somebody posted a clip at some point after one of the two recent losses of like uh, – and this might have been on KCP too, but it might have been like Jalil Okafor driving down the court, nobody stopping <laughs> the ball in transition, just like waving at him. And it's like, you, and somebody made the comment, like you might as well have orange cones out there that these guys are just like running around through drills because nobody is taking accountability and nobody is playing defense. And it's a bummer because like Kuzma, for all the struggles he has on defense, it's rarely an effort issue for him. You know, it might be a mental effort issue sometimes, but rarely like a physical effort. On some of those clips where LeBron was just standing around, like not moving. <laughs> the juxtaposition. Kuzma is like falling down, like scrambling all over the floor, <laughs> running, like doing a hundred laps, like a freaking like loose guinea pig or something. And LeBron is just like chilling. And again, it's like, it, I, it's two different players, two different circumstances, but... It's just been the most of the older, like LeBron, again, LeBron is LeBron. He's such a net positive in so many other ways that fine. Like, yeah, if the, if the national media is going to bash him about his defense, I'm not going to complain because he frankly deserves it. If he's going to complain about other people or like roll his eyes and like, Mm -hmm. you know, sigh or whatever. Uh, Yeah. He deserves criticism as well, but it's the guys we signed to be support players KCP, Rondo, uh, Josh Hart. I mean, you have, or sorry, not Josh Hart, um, Lance Stevenson. You have uh, James Worthy on the post game show. And I just saw the actual, I saw the quote last night, but I just saw the clip right before we started recording this. And this wasn't like a misquote or anything. James Worthy said, you know, essentially, I've watched Rondo over the course of his career. I know when he's mailing it in and when he isn't and right now Rondo's just I mean he's just being detrimental to his team James Worthy who is a guy paid by the Lakers to be a homer is saying this about like who he was calling during media day like our second all-star when everybody was saying we didn't acquire a second all-star you know like uh it's just like something is going on it's like you said it's it's not just that they're playing so bad. It's like they're all playing so bad at the same time. And I don't know, again, if it's a retaliation against the coaches. Like, Rondo's minutes have been fairly significantly cut. Um, he's not starting, despite the fact that Lonzo is hurt. Um you know, Lance Stevenson's minutes have been up and down all year. That might just be a talent issue. Um, but KCP, same thing. His minutes have been up and down. And, you know, he hasn't started most of the season. But even coming off the bench, he's not getting cons- consistent minutes. And I'm not saying that any of these guys deserve more minutes. I'm just saying that I'm trying to speculate as to how this could happen all at the same time where all these guys. And it feels like, I mean, when Rondo is out there, it feels like he's punishing Luke. 
He paid six. He played. No, it does, dude. He played 16 minutes last night. He had no assists. He had three turnovers. He was pounding, pounding, pounding the ball like the entire time he was out there that he had the ball in his hands and just like completely not trying. Like we had to play him 16 minutes because we have no other options. But at some point, like if that's the issue, then Luke needs to man up and be like, okay, guess what, JaVale, if you're not going to go all out, you can go ahead and get waved or sit at the end of the bench there because freaking like Jonathan Williams and Mo Wagner are going to put more effort in at this point. You know, Tyson Chandler is who he is. He's like a hundred, but like, it's time to like, the coaches at some point have to step up and be like, look, we're not going to be held hostage by you guys. Well, and here's the thing. I think Luke is very close to reaching that point because what reason exactly does he have to gaff, as the kids would say? Because he knows that the writing's on the wall for him as well. What's stopping him? Yeah, well, I know what's stopping yeah. him. But but I mean, if I were him, I'd be like, you gave me this roster. I want to remind you that you guys gave me this roster. And at the trade deadline, Reggie Bullock is a great addition. But outside of him, when we could have done so many other things, including just standing pat from there and calling it a day, you decided to trade Zubats our only other option at center at a position that we're flailing at right now. And you still haven't gotten me another playmaker or point guard in Lonzo Ball's absence and in Rondo's deterioration. So for, for Luke Walton, I'm almost like, yeah, pretty soon, maybe I should just start Mo Wagner and Jonathan Williams and Alex Caruso. But right now, I feel like he can also continue to play Rondo, Lance Stevenson, KCP, JaVale McGee, who are all combined making that second max, almost making that second max max player type spot and say, this is what you collected for me. So I'm going to play them. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I, Luke, at the end of the day, everybody's acting in their own interest, right? And Luke is protecting his job. And the reality is, given all the injuries, if this team was performing you know, at a medium range of possibility of where we thought they could end up being like, you know, 45, 46 wins. If they were performing it around that, you know, they squeeze in the playoffs as like a uh, seven seed or something, uh, which I think is what 46 wins would have got you last year. Then things are maybe, maybe he's not an obvious fire. I still, I do think they should fire him, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, But I, I think this goes beyond him just wanting to, prove a point here or something so i know i'm simplifying your point but yes go ahead yeah for luke i'm just like there's so many ways he could go about this with and for me it's just like maybe just throw your hands up in the air and do whatever the hell you want because you have always been put in a lose-lose situation this entire season you were never really going to win unless like you mentioned everybody was healthy and what happened at the beginning of the season was actually real and not the mirage that it seems it is because all of the worst fears of people who who kind of trashed the Lakers in the offseason, all of our worst fears have started to manifest itself in terms of these veteran role guys starting to pout when they don't get the minutes or the role that they wanted. And I think that's what ha- what's happening with Rondo, right? Because everything was going fine after it the Boston like game, game winner. And then they got Reggie Bullock and they started him off the bat. And Rondo's like, wait, I can't even get minutes without Lonzo Ball? All right, well, <laughs> I'm not going to care anymore and I will continue my but bad defense. But it's like defense. annoying and and it does yeah, and it does feel like that and it feels like annoying because these guys thought that like 
it's just like the whole vibe of the front office, the whole vibe of the coaching staff has always been, you know, and like LeBron said, these guys are just misunderstood, right? It's not that they're actually locker room cancers like a lot of former teammates and coaches have said. It, it's it's that, and the media has covered, it's that they're just misunderstood and now they're playing with LeBron and they're on the Lakers and the Lakers do everything the best and it won't be an issue. And that's, you know, we're seeing everything come to a head right now. If I'm Rondo, you know, thinking like, if you want to put the team above everything else, that's one thing. And that's what we always keep saying, but it doesn't seem to be true. But Rondo hits a game winner against Boston um, in a super emotional night and has like one of his best games of the season and starts that game. And literally like the next game, right, was when we got Bullock mm-hmm. and Bullock was immediately starting. Um, like, yeah, that next game against the Hawks. And since then, Rondo just has like not even engaged. And it's like, look, you're a veteran. You know what I mean? It's like, again, we gave all this crap to all these young guys and, oh, can they deal? Can they handle? Are they just going to crumble? Brandon Ingram started playing some of his best basketball of the year of his career when all these rumors started getting really heavy. And this kid is 21 years old. Kyle Kuzma, 23 years old, second year player is like having an amazing season for a second year player. Um, even Lonzo, like, yeah, his stats are up and down, but we've seen what he can bring on both ends. Um, it's really these other guys and it's just such a bummer because I, but again, it's like, how much do you blame? Do you, it, who do you really blame? And like I said, it's complicated. There's a number of ways you can point the finger, but Mo Wagner, Svi Mikhailuk, like we had some young guys on our team burning, you know, the pine for long stretches of the season. And it just makes you wonder, was the issue, you know, something that was happening in practice was the issue, like something with the coaching staff, not recognizing certain things, but it feels like there were various points throughout the season where, things could have been done to address issues. And, and the sad part is, and you know, like we've had these similar types of issues in previous years, right? Like we, you, we, you can go back and listen to recordings of us being like, why does it seem like every time Julius Randall makes a mistake, he gets immediately benched. Whereas when so-and-so, you know, Shanning Fry makes it or, you know, whatever random vet we had at the time, was also making a dumb mistake, that guy would continue to get to play. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy would play like a 20-minute stint and Julius makes one mistake and he's pulled in two minutes. You know, it's like Luke came in and preached all this like egalitarian, like everything is going to be equal. It's all performance-based. And that's not really, in my opinion, the culture that he's created here by letting these veterans hold him hostage. Because Rondo is in the midst of playing some of his worst basketball like some of the worst of his career, frankly, but definitely of this season. And Luke played him for a 17 straight minute stretch against New Orleans. And it's like this kind of behavior is just completely unacceptable. You do something like that. Meanwhile, you know, you have uh, Lonzo Ball out there earlier in the season. He makes a couple of mistakes and he's pulled from the game. To be fair, like you said, Luke Walton has diminished the minutes of Rondo Lance Stevenson, KCP. Unfortunately, because the Lakers constructed this roster and continue to not do anything or sign another... Look, the buyout market is scarce right now, but just find somebody to fill in a spot so that Luke Walton can try somebody else out. Because right now, he doesn't really have 
very many options at all. And that's where I go back and forth, yeah. Even if it only gives Rondo 10 minutes... There's like nobody else, exactly. And so there's a lot of blame to go around. We can continue to cycle through. It's Luke's fault. It's the front office's fault. It's LeBron and Clutch's fault for introducing this this dynamic where they're just holding us, this this entire franchise and the team that we've come to know by the barrel of a gun. They're, they're holding us hostage, essentially. We, we, could, we could blame each of these parties and in some respects, they they each hold a percentage of the blame. But right now, unfortunately, we're just playing some joyless basketball and we look fragmented out there on the court, maybe off the court as well. You saw Kyle Kuzma dapping it up last night after the game with the entire Memphis Grizzlies bench acting like he wanted to be on their team. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is not a good look. Uh, he's he's tied with uh, DeLon Wright from, from Utah. I know, but it's just like... <laughs> I, I, and, then, and then you watch all of the ex-Lakers just thriving, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, and you're just like, obviously we're snow piling, snowball well, piling on ourselves. But And it's a good thing you bring up the ex-Lakers because it's guys that were trashed when they were here, and we always saw the potential, and we always said, like, these guys are very close. Like, D'Angelo, it took him two years to get to where we thought, but he got there. Julius, he was already headed there end of last season, and he's just built on that this season. And it's just like we saw it the whole time, but the front office was totally willing to sell these guys for pennies on the dollar because, you know, they were looking for anyone to blame but themselves. And that's the fear with this year's roster is they've constructed such a poor roster and they've shown no self-awareness whatsoever. And so you just get incredibly, incredibly concerned that... um the same thing is going to happen this off season. You know, maybe we sign a fringe star or like an overpay type of like DeMarcus cousins overpay for five, you know, four year max or something. And we end up trading all our young guys for veteran supporting pieces and selling them for pennies on the dollar. And then in two years, we're like, wait, <laughs> how are Ingram Kuzma, D'Angelo and Lonzo Ball all, all stars on different teams all of a sudden, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's, it's just like, it, it just feels like that's where we're headed because not one of these guys has stood up and, and, you know, admitted that, Hey, you know, if things aren't working out the way we thought it's, it's just like this awkward tension around, how Luke is coaching the team and how the young guys have been performing and adapting to playing with LeBron, but no attention has been paid to the fact that the guy we were paying $12 million, you know, our second high, highest dollar amount free agent signing after LeBron for the summer, we're paying him 12 million to shoot threes and he's hitting 34%, which is below the league average. So, it, you know, no attention is paid to Rondo completely just quitting on the entire team and no attention is paid to the fact that we have an open roster spot and we're not doing anything and we're waiting for this Friday to see if anybody, somebody, will ask to be bought out. Yeah, because this know. Friday <laughs> is the deadline to... Is it the deadline to sign somebody for playoffs? Yep. For them to be playoff elig okay. eligible. You can sign them and they'll be on your team, but they won't be able to play in the playoffs. But right, in right. terms of improving this team, look... Jeremy Lin is gone, Markeith Morris is gone, Wesley Matthews is gone, and for good reason, honestly. Even if we reached out to them, I'm not sure if they would have wanted to be part of this, all this drama and turmoil in the locker room. Having said that, the only chance that the Lakers have at landing a good buyout prospect at this point is if Robin Lopez or Dwayne Dedman demand at the end of the day to 
get bought out from their teams and give up a little bit of money because that's what Jeremy Lin did with the Hawks. The Hawks only released him because he gave up maybe like $2 million, you know? So Robin Lopez is like playing balls to the wall right now. He's, sh- he's shooting lights out and everything like that. So maybe because he's playing so well, he's like, well, I don't want this to go to waste. Maybe I want to play some playoff basketball this year. Uh, we'll see, but it seems like he's happy with his situation, unfortunately. And the same goes for Dwayne Dedman. So the Lakers have to be hoping and praying that these one of these guys asks for a buyout. Or honestly, even Joakim Noah. <laughs> um, but anyways, look, there are two things that the Lakers need, and I'm not sure if they're going to be able to address it by this Friday. They need another center, just another bruiser who can do something or even rebound the ball, especially with how small ball they're playing at this point. Like, I, I just and don't we just think... need a wave either JaVale or Tyson, wave one of them, but sure. dude, we can't carry both of those guys. Yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need two things. We need another center who can just play basketball, and then we need another playmaker or point guard who can soak up some of Rondo's minutes if he's not willing to play. And the guys out there right now are guys who haven't played. There's Norris Cole... Jameer Nelson, Jarrett Jack, oh my gosh. Mario Chalmers, Ramon Jameer Sessions. Might not be bad. Where the hell is Deron Williams? Didn't he play pretty well in the playoffs like two years ago with LeBron? What happened to that guy? Anyways, I'm sure Deron is nah, probably that guy's, that guy's done. super fat. But <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say, I and this would probably never happen, like Isaiah Thomas, I'm not, this is probably and that would never happen, but we could actually give that guy guaranteed minutes. I think like the Nuggets, because of, he has a, t- a relationship with Malone. So like Malone is trying to pl- throw him a bone and give him like 10, 15 a game, but they have so many freaking guards. Um, we could actually offer him like a role here and like a serious one too. And, uh, that's something, you know, we have a relationship with him. I wouldn't be opposed if, if they looked into maybe him asking to get bought out. But you're right. It, it's going to take at this point somebody asking to get bought out whose team doesn't currently need them for whatever reason, either redundancy or, you know, you're completely out of the playoff race. And and I and I just don't know that there's anybody out there, though, that can solve the types of problems we have. Yeah. So we'll see what they do. But again, it just seems like they're twiddling their thumbs all of a sudden after their panic move for Mike Muscala. And they're not addressing the biggest holes on our roster, the biggest concerns. And sadly, I don't know if they can address the off-court stuff that's happened to our team. Well, one way they could address it, I mean, again, this would never happen, but if they wanted to take a stand somebody should stand like magic can go and do his little like i'm gonna go give everybody a pep talk thing don't do that but one way to <laughs> take a stand well the exactly but he's already done that right and and i guess yeah. that what i'm saying is like that's one thing but it's another thing to like show a little bit of like pu- like acknowledgement or public support around what's happening like you have a coach i know you're the front office but you're supposed to be in sync with the coach. That was supposed to be like the great part about this new era was at all levels. Everybody was in sync, right? So talk to your coach about, hey, we keep preaching this egalitarian ball and that's not what we're seeing right now. So we're at a point in the season right now where there's no time for, you know, no time for the to just let people walk all over us. It's time to reward what is actually happening and whether that means like BI's minutes get cut, they won't because he's really good. You know, like that's, that's fine. If it means Kuzma, same thing, that's fine. If it means 
Rajon Rondo getting cut out of the rotation and let's give freaking Alex Caruso a look, you know, that's fine. Um, we need at this point guys who are going to go out there and play basketball for us. And we don't have enough of those guys. And, and if I think if we took a somebody in the front office or coaching staff took a firm stance of like, look, we can cut all the passive aggression. It's clearly four guys are playing horrendously. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like you don't have to say it that aggressively, but you can say like guys are going to be rewarded for what we see in practice and what we see on the court. At this point, he should just try anything he can. There's no time to waste. They've got 20. You know, like would would Alex Caruso have been worse for us in that last game than Rajon Rondo? There's no way. With uh, sometimes we, with the center rotations we throw out, it's like I know Mo Wagner's a rookie, but would he put down a worse effort right now than what we're seeing from Javale McGee and you know Slow Tyson Chandler or Muscala? I would rather him play than Muscala. Or even that, yeah, like. It doesn't seem like there's any intention. It's like, yeah, sometimes guys will get their minutes cut a little bit, but there doesn't appear to be that much attention paid to, you know, when are the rotations being made, how much of a leash got certain guys are getting versus other guys. It's just like really messed up. You know, it's like, yeah. well, this is not what we signed up for. Since the beginning of this uh, podcast, we've always talked about, let's see if people put their money where their mouth is. You know what I mean? And we said it for the old front office. They weren't doing it. We said it for the new front office. For a time, it looked like they were doing it. But, you know, right now, it's again, it's been how many years of talking about this, like guys are going to be re rewarded for their play. And that's not the culture that we have right now. I don't know what the solution is. Some people just need to step up and do something. Let's turn the attention now to LeBron James. I think for Lakers Nation, he's turned into almost uh, the Mad King. It's a reign of terror at this point. Could this be worse than the Dwight Mayor? Uh-oh, I don't know. But no. <laughs> in terms of his leadership, it's been a weird season. The stuff he's starting to say to the media, obviously he's been taking out of context and whatnot. But it just hasn't been a good look for LeBron, in, in, in my opinion, for better or for worse. He's starting to, he may truly be following in the footsteps of Magic Johnson in terms of his corniness, sometimes his naivete, his tone deafness, and especially his brash displays of narcissism, where he's posting Instagram photos of him breaking records and whatnot on nights where the Lakers have just lost crucially meaningful basketball games in their playoff quest. But let's even push that to the side, okay? Um... What is LeBron James right now as he continues to work his way back from his injury? It seems like he's still working out the kinks, although that dunk, thunderous dunk against the Houston Rockets would tell you otherwise. He's obviously 34 years old and preserving himself and um, picking his spots. That's fine. Like you mentioned, that viral video of him just lead-footed and not moving around. Yes, he can roll out of bed and still get a triple-double, put up all these stats, but... What happened to playoff-initiated LeBron James? What happened to carry you on his back and drag your lifeless body to the playoffs, LeBron? I know he was in the East Coast last season and did that in a different conference, but you're playing against the New Orleans Pelicans, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't care how terrible guys not named B.I. Kuz and Bullock are. That's still comparable to whatever the hell he had in Cleveland last year. And you're telling me he can't go supernova against the Hawks, Pelicans, and Grizzlies? What should I expect from this sort of LeBron James this year? Can he be that super saiyan LeBron James that carries us to the promised land? Or is there just too much extracurricular drama going on right now and not enough help? Look, LeBron, in my opinion, is still... 
he's still one of the top players in the NBA. Is he, you know, 2000 and whatever, uh, 2011 LeBron? Like, no, he's not that level anymore, but he's still very, very good. He can still, you know, take over games in his own way. He can't still go one on three and just completely jump over and power over everybody and dunk it and get fouled in the process. Like, you know, he's not going to will you to wins with 40 point scoring games. But frankly, like, he's never really been that player. It's like you have James Harden who's just finished his like insane streak of 30 plus point games, right? It's LeBron has always averaged, you know, mid to high 20s scoring throughout his entire career. But I don't know that anybody, except for you know various stretches of his career, would ever classify him as a scorer. He gets his points efficiently and effectively, and he can be aggressive or not not as aggressive. But he you know makes his imprint on a game by touching the game in a variety of ways. And sorry, hold on, can I interrupt you real quick? Because I'm just looking at his game log from last year, and. He went supernova LeBron to carry and lead his team to the playoffs. He had, I'm looking at almost like three or four 40-point games even before the playoffs began. A spattering of 35, 37-point games. And at this point, he has to know this team's not going to get it done. So I'm kind of waiting and expecting him to be like, all right, well, screw this. I'm going to just barrel through dudes. And I think he's trying to do that. I'm just wondering whether he's still trying to catch his bearings from his injury or I don't know. No, I mean, I think part of that is again, first of all, there's time. I mean, he's had several high 20, you know, near 30 point games. We need the 40 uh, ones. In recent, I don't know if he's crossed 30, but yeah, the, we do need the 40 ones and, and three times, you know, I guess my point is like that could happen and there will maybe be a stretch, especially if we're still in it where he, is getting more points. Part of it is he's another year older. You know, he's another year of wear and tear on his body. Um, he's, I just don't know that that's the, what we can expect moving forward, that he's going to be a 40 point, you know, have those types of explosive 40 point games to carry us maybe against the best teams, but frankly, we shouldn't be relying on that against Memphis and New Orleans. Um, I understand it's easy to point the finger at a lot of people. I just, I don't put LeBron even probably in my top three of of finger points here. You know, like I I just don't think that what LeBron is, his performance this year, his leadership, I'll question, but that's always been a semi-questionable thing about him. I mean, LeBron is known for being a guy that other players really like and respect and kind of like Kobe, right? But uh, and, and like a friendly person, but I don't know that he's ever carried himself in any situation that he's been in as like a, you know, publicly supportive against all odds, you know, type of teammate. Um, he, he's a teammate that people like and people like playing with, but I don't know that he's that kind of leader. Um, and part of it is he is LeBron James and he carries a certain ego with being LeBron James. And so he's not trying to mince words or, you know, watch what he's saying when the media asks him something. Some of his quotes recently have been, you know, arguably misconstrued if, if you're looking at just literally what he said and not necessarily how the question was asked. He, he tends to answer questions very literally and without regard for really how that might come off. 
you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think that's a separate issue. But I, I just think that LeBron is who he is. He's still one of the best players in the game. He's not going to supernova and carry us by himself. He's going to need help getting there. And I just don't know that this team has the help. Like, we have him. We have two guys averaging nearly 20 a game. I frankly don't know who else is going to consistently score for us. Like, Reggie Bullock can hit some threes, but the coaches are not putting any of the other players on this roster, and the front office gave us this roster to, you know, make any other type of noise. Uh, when LeBron's not out, there, not out there, we barely look like a passable NBA team. And even when he is out there, we sometimes barely look like a passable NBA team. So, but I, I, I don't know how much of that is his fault. Like he can do what he can do at this stage in his career, and that still be one of the best players in the NBA. I, I think we're coming off one of his worst games of the season, uh, where he shot eight for twenty three. You know, thirty five percent. That's like a statistical anomaly for him. Like even over the course of his entire career. So it's easy maybe to fall back on that, but I, I just don't know. I don't I don't really put too much of the blame on So him. I guess we can qualify, you know, his performance, on court performance and all of that, obviously with the injuries, his age, him preserving himself. But do you understand the sentiment of fans who have been lifelong Lakers fans or even just Lakers fans of this current iteration of the young core? Just worried at the fact that he's turning this team into something unrecognizable. And at the end of this, even if we're excited about Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma averaging 20 points, that these guys are not even going to be on the team and we're going to have LeBron James and an entirely brand new team that we don't recognize anymore. Yeah, but I think that's just, that's, that's just honestly, look, some of it is LeBron. LeBron being LeBron is going to put pressure on you. But some of it is just like, you know, guys way reading. I don't know. I Sometimes I just feel like guys read way too much into things or... Like, oh, the Lakers are disjointed because of the way LeBron's playing. The Lakers have been playing disjointed offense ever since Luke Walton became our coach. Like, there's not been a stretch where we were like, well, you know, we're playing really bad, but our, our offense is firing on all cylinders. You know, it's like when we had Isaiah Thomas, there was this brief stretch where we were playing really, really well offensively while he was healthy. But it, it's like we've had so few stretches like that. And, and I don't know that that's a LeBron James problem or if that's a coaching and front office problem for then not recognizing what the obvious issues are. Like, namely, that the coaches are – like, this is a thing. It's not like LeBron game here, came here so now we're playing LeBron ball. Like, LeBron played in offenses that – you know, Cranjus, uh, if anybody follows him, I'm sure you saw this – very, very long article that he put out about Luke and his staff. And I'm not saying I agree with everything in that article, but he raised some really good issues, just as general points that I don't even think require data. Like if you look at, well, some of them do, I guess if you look back at LeBron's first two, his first run in Cleveland and his first run with my, and his run with Miami, those teams had offenses and they ran plays and he did just fine. It was just like, you know, the last few years when he was playing with Kyrie and Kevin Love, they were running more of a Mike D'Antoni style system of like, let's run a high screen and roll. One guy is going to create a mismatch and create a dis uh, an advantage offensively and go one-on-one and, and do something. And that was just their offense. And it was effective for that, for that team construction. He's not doing that here because that is just like, that's how he plays. He's doing that here because that is the offense that we've created. You know, like this is, this is not a LeBron thing. This is something that we've had an issue with. I mean, D'Angelo Russell got blamed for 
being a guy who wasn't able to get the offense going. It's like, no, 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 this was the offense we had. You know, we've always had it. I think we're veering off of my initial point, which is we're going into the X's and O's, and I'm just talking about existentially. And and look, this is not directly LeBron James' fault, but at least for me, I understand the sentiment and the worry of fans who are more invested in this is the journey we've been on, and I'm watching it crumble in front of my face and seeing it affect the guys who I've come to love because of this one supernova dynamic force who's come in and changed everything. And in the end of the day, it might change everything that may be the sacrifice you have to take and make in order to win another championship. But I understand the sentiment of fans who maybe even look upon the Dwight Mare season and say, well, at least he was gone after a year and Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol lifelong Lakers, Hall of Fame Lakers were at least there to stem the tide and give me some semblance of the team that I knew, grew up with, and came to love. Whereas in the worst case scenario, LeBron James is literally just going to lay waste to, and especially if you're like, what, a 14-year-old who started watching basketball and the D'Angelo Russell Lakers is what you know. And you, you just see it crumble before your eyes. So for me, I understand that sentiment. I'm not blaming it on LeBron, but it's the nature of the situation. It's not that I don't understand the sentiment, but who gets the blame for that? Is it LeBron for being for being LeBron, or is it the front office for not you know being able to recognize or adapt and understand? It seems like any context and just fall to like the lowest common denominator you know excuse that doesn't put them at fault. And that's probably. It or partially. And so that's it. what I'm saying. When we had Kobe, it's same thing. It's just because a guy is having a guy in your team expects you, raises the expectations of the team and puts guys that you like under scrutiny. It's it's not necessarily that guy's fault. It's how everybody else reacts to it. And our front office and our coaching sure. staff has shown no recognition of any of this or like ability to be like, okay, you know. Despite all of the noise and hoopla and nonsense that we've created here, Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma are second and third best players consistently. Um, and frankly, Josh Hart is an overall yes. usually net positive, despite the fact that he hasn't made a shot in like three months. Okay, let's well let's let's end there on a positive note. I don't want to extend this too much longer, but for five minutes, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. So in the month of February, eight games, Brandon Ingram is averaging twenty one point one points. 5.8 rebounds, 3 assists, on 49% shooting, 41% from 3, obviously because of the last two games where he hit 3 three pointers apiece. But yeah, 41% from 3, and uh, the biggest improvement of all, 76% from the line, at, a, at the highest volume he's had all year, probably comparable to his December month where he averaged 6.8 attempts. He's averaging 6.9 attempts this month. And then over on the other side, Cal Kuzma, in February, he's averaging 20.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists. He's up the assists recently on 49% shooting and 39.6% from three, 2.4 makes a game. And even if you look at their January stats, Kyle Kuzma, 19.5, 5.3, 2.4. Brandon Ingram, 19.1, six rebounds, 4.1 assists on 51% shooting from the field. So clearly these guys are not the problem. And just in terms of what you've seen in Brandon Ingram the last three games where he's really just busted the hell out and found a groove in the mid-range and you see all of these highlight clips of him just going downhill and attacking, attacking, being relentless, driving the ball, uh, seeking out the contact. And now just, look, Brandon Ingram is always kind of going to kind of look like that clunky Julius Randle type player, but 
in the best way he can, he's looked more controlled in that sense, in that respect. And you see it in the way he's able to all of a sudden plant his feet and fade away and hit these nifty mid-range jump shots. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, I think the reason why people can't get on board as easily with Brandon Ingram is because his game does not flow as well as a Jason Tatum or even a Kyle Kuzma, right? It's not fluid and not that aesthetically pleasing because he always seeks out contact and traffic and trying to gain advantage by just rising up. But I think he's done a really good job recently just picking his spots and knowing when to, like we've mentioned, he's very effective going downhill. But even in the mid-range, he's done stuff like Dirk Nowitzki sideways fadeaways where he's kind of like fading to the left on one foot and he's still able to hit those shots. And so I've been really impressed by the mid-range package that he's displayed and most of all hitting six of seven from three the last two games and really stepping into it and shooting that thing with confidence, you know? He's never going to have a pure shot where it's just Reggie Bullock like a laser, but I think half of the battle is just him being willing to shoot that shot with confidence, and he's done that yeah. the last three games. So your thoughts on him? I mean, I agree with everything you said. The only thing I'll add is there was a lot of he'll never be this or never be that. D'Angelo Russell looked clunky as hell. I mean, like, look, we scouted this guy a lot. This was in the prime of our watching film on these college kids days, right? And we had a feeling D'Angelo was going to be good, but the reality is if you look at the tape of most of his games – during his run here. And again, I'm not going to say who's, who's was at fault there, but it's not like he looked like the most fluid player of all time at various points either. You know, guys come around at different times. We were grooming the six, nine player to be a ball handler and it's looked clunky at times, but this guy is 30 pounds below where, you know, we suspect that he'll ultimately be in terms of like a playing weight just by more reps, more experience, more skill refinement. Um, We've already seen his handles take like enormous leaps uh, from where they were when he was a rookie. Um, His offense, his offensive game is going to look a lot more smooth. I think as he becomes stronger and I don't know, he is slowly right in front of our eyes, becoming a guy that it's like, uh, are we sure this is seriously the type of guy we want to trade? Because he could be that all-star type of player for us for like a decade. Once he, rises to that level again if he doesn't make the all-star team for two more three more years he'll be 24 at that time and like you know still very young with many great years ahead of him so i I just think we have to be really careful we do unfortunately front office's track record isn't great and brandon ingram is up for that qualifying offer restricted free agency after next year. So we have to yeah, watch ourselves carefully with regards to that. Kyle Kuzma, same thing. I think he's displayed a more concerted effort to get his teammates involved and at the very least, just be more active on defense and give the effort. You see him sacrificing his body, trying to get charges, and then even using verticality on certain players and just selling his body out. And that you just have to appreciate from him. I think his three-point shot has even come around. He's shooting 40% in the month of February. So yeah, these two guys, the wingmen, have been especially superb and effective in light of this recent stretch for the Lakers where it's just been downright abysmal and sad and joyless to watch. So at least we have that going for us. We have Reggie Bullock, who's averaged around 12 points or so, hitting almost like three a game for the Lakers and shooting like 43% from the field. That you have to be encouraged by, especially because it just gives LeBron... Sorry, he's shooting 45% from the field. But he's really given LeBron that safety valve to go to that really helps space the floor, 
on a team where it's otherwise just packed in the paint and there's very little movement or space to be had. So Reggie Bullock definitely helps out in that respect. Um, so yeah, we'll end it there. We've kind of gone long. There was a lot to discuss and a lot to vent over and argue about, but such is the state of your Los Angeles Lakers. Statistically, the Lakers are not out of it, clearly. But like we said, it's all about how the team is making us feel, how the team looks. And right now, we can't really give them the benefit of the doubt until they actually start stringing together some wins and start looking fluid and like a cohesive team, really, at the end of the day. Um, Luckily, the San Antonio Spurs have been struggling a lot recently. They lost to New York and Brooklyn back-to-back. We'll see how that continues to shake itself out. The Clippers are beginning to hit a stride, so I don't know if they're willing to actually concede their pick, but it sure seems that way because they actually built out a pretty solid team of just guys 5 through 10 that are all just solid, right? So, According to their owner, the goal is to make the playoffs and pick be damned. Well, there we go. So the Lakers have... Uh, the, the, the Lakers have their, what is the phrase? They have their work cut out for them? <laughs> their work cut out for them. Yes, the Lakers have their work cut out for them with 20, what is it now, 22 games left? God, it's like yeah, so 22 sad. 22 games left. The season has been like so not satisfying in any way. It's like a, another one of these seasons where it's like basketball is going to be over and I'm just going to be like... I'm not fulfilled in any way, and now I have to wait an entire offseason again to to see if, if anything's going to change. Yeah, it's a very unhealthy addiction, but even more so because of this year. And I know some people are getting hyped at, well, if we don't make the playoffs, we'll have a pretty good pick. And I'm just like, that thing is going to be gone, man. You're going to do all that scouting for nothing this year, you know? So even that I can't be excited about. But we, we still have 22 games left. The Lakers can still make it. We play the New Orleans Pelicans tomorrow. Something has to give. Something has to give. I think that's what I'll... Maybe that's what I'll call the title tonight. <laughs> Something has to give. Um, all right, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. We're also on Spotify, so catch us there. How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World, like I said. Escape from this terrible purple and gold reign of terror. Give yourselves a breather. But it all starts with uh, beating the Pelicans, so... With that said, we'll catch you guys next time. And uh, Tommy? Later. Peace. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more Yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.